Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 41. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, this world uh, has become very small recently, right? And I can pick up my phone and I can call somebody in China right now if I wanted to. I could even talk face-to-face with somebody from across the world through FaceTime on my phone or on my computer. I can write my friends a letter who live in Australia, and they will get it within seconds. Electronic mail. No ship needed. No plane, no truck, no horse, no fuel. Just me and the Internet. The Internet has changed the world as we know it. You might even say that the Internet has taken us from one realm to another realm. It's like we almost live on a completely different planet than we lived just, say, 20 years ago. August 6th, 1991, 2.56 and 20 seconds in the afternoon. That was the exact moment that the first website was launched. There are moments in history that change the world forever, both good and bad. The invention of the Internet. You know, the invention of the cotton gin, I think, of, changed the world dramatically. In a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways. 9-11. That changed our world, right? You can think of other events, maybe, that have changed the world completely. These matters moments in the history of the world. They're very important. They're like a portal taking us from one realm to the next. And we are here today in this building because of one of these portal moments. That moment when a man named Jesus opened up his eyes three days after he died. That was the most important moment in the history of the entire world. And that's why we're here today. Next week, I'm going to talk about why we can believe in something that we would consider miraculous, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this week, as we prepare for Easter, 
I want to talk about baptism. Now, why baptism around Easter time? Well, it's because baptism is also intended to be one of these portal moments, taking us from one realm to the next. From one way of life, one way of being, to another whole, totally different way of life and way of being. And because moments like baptism, they matter. They really matter. So, what's the big deal with baptism anyway? I mean, what does having, what does being dunked into a pool of water have anything to do with anything? What's the deal with that? I mean, on the surface, you might even think it sounds silly to be dunked in water, taken back up. What does that have to do with anything? Well, we're going to look at a little bit of background on baptism this morning. But let me just say first that I believe that God really cares about the physical nature of things, our bodies, and what we do with them. So, for example, um, when we teach our kids how to pray, what do we do? We teach them what to do physically. Hold your hands like this or this, bow your heads, maybe even get down on your knee. You see, our spirituality is deeply entwined with our physicality. What we do with our bodies and the physical nature of things matter. And we need to be very careful if we want to go about separating something physical that we do with our bodies, like baptism, from something spiritual, like maybe just kind of a warm feeling you get in your heart after a sermon. When Peter preached that sermon in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, it says that the people were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And you might be thinking, that's great. That's what should have happened. But that was only the beginning. What happens in our hearts is very important. Extremely important. But that's just the beginning of it. The people, when they were cut to the heart, they said, what did they ask? They said, what shall we do? The heart was where it all began. But that's only where it started. There was much more to it than just a feeling in the heart. So Peter says, well, here's what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our physical acts are deeply entwined with our spirituality. It's why when we will observe the Lord's Supper here pretty soon after the sermon, we actually eat the bread and we drink the cup. We don't just sit around and think about Jesus in our minds or in our heart, but we still take the bread and eat it. And we take the fruit juice and we actually drink it physically because that's important to do that physically. Now we think of matters of being either of the heart or an issue of the mind. Well, that's two-thirds right because we're leaving out the body. The heart, the mind, the body, it's all tied together. God cares about everything, even our physical body. So about 3,000 people were baptized, physically baptized, after Peter's sermon that day. 3,000. 
Have you ever stopped and wondered where all those people were baptized? There had to be a lot of water around someplace, right? They were in the city of Jerusalem. Where did they all get baptized so quickly? Well, already in existence were several pools, maybe even, say, like a hundred pools of water surrounding the temple of Jerusalem. Rainwater would collect here. They would try to make it as fresh as possible. And these were called mikvahs. Mikvahs. Here's a picture of one right here that's just outside where the temple was in Jerusalem. There were a lot of these. It's where the Jews would perform their ritualistic cleansing that were prescribed by the old law. You can read about those in Leviticus. So this is where, if you wanted to go into the inner courts of the temple, you would dip yourself into one of these mikvahs, which would be filled with water, which would be making you clean. It would take you from one state, impurity, to another state, purity, so that it would be appropriate for you to enter into the temple, the inner court of the temple. These mikvahs would also be used for Jewish conversion. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to be a Jew, you would immerse yourself into one of these mikvahs, completely immersed. And that was how you converted to Judaism. Even today, within Orthodox Judaism, mikvahs are regularly used. And if the immersion took place in fresh running water, like say in a creek or a river, it was considered sort of this like supercharged baptism. So you think, where did John the Baptist go to do his baptizing? He went to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River, River is especially important because that's where the Israelites crossed over from the desert into the Promised Land. It was kind of a portal moment, taking them from one way of life, wandering in the desert for 40 years, crossing over into the promised land. That was the portal moment, being baptized in the Jordan River. So immersion into water was where one moved from one state to the next, purity to impurity. And it was likely that all these mikvahs, just like this one here, is where those 3,000 people were baptized in Acts chapter 2. So you can see that Jesus or John the Baptist didn't really invent baptism per se. But baptism into the name of Jesus was altogether new. I mean, think about how that would have changed things. Everybody is used to be, you know, being baptized because of the old law. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be baptized into my name. That's a pretty big deal. That could be scandalous, so to speak. So in John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus the Pharisee that to see the kingdom of God, one must be born again. One must be born again. And he even goes into more detail two verses later and says, in order to see the kingdom of God, one must be born of water and spirit. Water and spirit. A birth is one of those portal moments, right? For a baby that's born, they go from the mother's womb 
into a new world. Now that's a pretty big change for that newborn, isn't it? Completely different way of being, way of life, from the womb into the world. So what is this being born again of water and spirit stuff? What is that all about? What's going on here? Water and spirit, being born of water and spirit. To understand, I want to go back to the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. It was in the context of spirits and water that something was made from nothing. In the context of spirit and water that something formless and empty and dark became new, created, full of life. A completely different way of being. So being born of water and spirit means brought from an empty way of being, formless and dark, to new, new creation, full of life. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Another place we encounter spirit and water is in the story of Noah and the ark. You remember that? Now, if you're thinking about the story of Noah and the ark right now, you're like, okay, I know where the water is in this story. That's pretty obvious, right? Because God flooded the entire earth. You might even say he baptized the entire earth, immersing it completely in the flood water. But you might be asking, John, where's the Spirit's activity? in the story of Noah and the ark. Well, I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Where's the spirit here? Well, the word that is used here for wind in Hebrew is the word ruach. A ruach means wind. It also means spirit. That same word ruach, which is kind of a cool word, fun to say, right? Ruach. But it's used interchangeably between wind, breath, and spirit. So when a Hebrew fellow would have read this account about the story of Noah on the ark and saw that how God sent a wind over the water, he would have immediately known that that was the Spirit of God over the water. Now, when we are children, um, I think it's pretty consistent that we're taught that Noah and his family were saved in the ark from the water. The ark saved them from the water. Makes sense, right? They might have all drowned. But that's not actually what happened, was it? That's not accurate. What really happened was that Noah and his family in the ark were saved through water from what? The corrupt 
state of humanity. It's sin. The world had become so corrupt and violent and bloodthirsty that God used water to save Noah and his family. That's why Peter can say in 1 Peter chapter 3, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as water saved Noah from a corrupted humanity, so water in baptism saves us from our own corruption. That's what baptism is all about. Out with the old, that's the water's job. In with the new, that's the spirit's job. That's how it works in the story of Noah and the ark. So we have creation. We have God bringing something new out of something formless and empty and dark in the context of water and spirit. And then the story of Noah and the ark. In the context of water and the Spirit, we have God bringing something new out of something old and corrupt. If you're still not convinced of the importance of Spirit and water working together for salvation, let's talk about the most important event pre-Jesus in the Old Testament, which was the Exodus, when God saved the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea on dry land. Right? Okay? Now, just like Noah and the Ark, you can picture where the water is involved here when they crossed the Red Sea and they were walking through water that was on, on both sides. All this huge wall of water that they were crossing over in dry land. There's water everywhere. But you might be asking, John, where's the activity of the Spirit here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, this is what we read. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on the left. Our old friend the wind makes another appearance and it's not a coincidence. Any Hebrew man would think of the Ruach of, the Ruach of God that hovers over water. The wind, God's breath, the spirits of God. Okay, So, we have God saving his people using water and wind, which any old Hebrew hillbilly would have known was the Spirit of God. In fact, listen to how Moses describes the events just a few verses later. The next chapter, he says, By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. Okay? Remember, ruach also means breath. By the blast of God's nostrils 
he controlled the water. And just two verses later in chapter 15, verse 10, he says, But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. Again, Ruach, the Spirit of God and water working together for salvation. By the way, listen to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 11. This is how the prophet Isaiah interpreted the Exodus. He says, Then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and his people. Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name who led them through the death. It's not a coincidence that Isaiah interprets the Holy Spirit and water working together. That's a big deal in the Bible. The Holy Spirit and water. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 even interprets this event as Israel bad. So in our baptism, the Holy Spirit and water work together to take us from one realm to the next, from a realm of bondage to a realm of freedom. So we have formless and empty, the full of life and the creation, old corrupt in the story of Noah, the new and righteous. And then finally in the Exodus, we have bondage, crossing over into a realm of freedom. All in the context of spirits and water. So all these Old Testament events, the Exodus, the flood, creation, that's what inspired those old mikvahs around the temple. When a Jew would go into the waters, come out, he would think of crossing over into another realm from impurity to purity. This was what baptism meant to the Jews in the first century. Okay, so all that being said, now we can kind of enter into the first century culture to understand what the big deal is about baptism and water and spirit. Now, enter Jesus into the picture. Enter Jesus on the earth. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But when Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist, J.B. is like, Whoa, Jesus, 
this is wrong. This something is messed up here because you're already there, Jesus. You don't need to be baptized. You've already you're already on this new realm. You're new, you're pure, you're holy, you're righteous. You don't need to be baptized. You're already there in this new room realm. If anybody needs to be baptized, it's me. I'm the one who's corrupt, not pure, old, lost, a slave. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Oh nay nay. This has to be done to fulfill all righteousness. Well what does that mean? Well it means I gotta do what's right here. Well what does that mean? What's happening here is Jesus is taking his stand with sinners. When he is being baptized by John, he's saying, I'm doing this with you. I'm taking my stand with sinners. I'm doing this with you. I'm doing this for you. And really, his baptism was a preview of the cross. Which, by the way, Jesus describes as a baptism in the New Testament. And I'm sure you noticed the Holy Spirit was there when Jesus was baptized. And God said, hey, this is my son. He's doing what I want him to do. He's following my will. He's doing what I sent him there to do, to take his stand with sinners to go through this life with them. That's my boy. Ultimately, Jesus took his stand with sinners on the cross. We take our stand with Jesus by dying ourselves. Through baptism, we die to our sin, to our corrupt, impure, old life. We're dead to that. And because death was not the end for Jesus, because he rose again, we declare when we're baptized that it's Jesus who takes us from the one realm to the next. It's Jesus that takes us from formless and empty to full of life. It's Jesus that takes us from old to new, from impure to pure. And because Jesus rose from the dead, when we're baptized, we declare that it's Jesus that brought us from death to life. Texas hero, Sam Houston. He's somebody who was taken from one realm to the next through baptism. Sam Houston, um, as I understand, was a kind of a cruel, belligerent man before he came to Christ. But afterwards, his life completely changed. He became a kind, gentle man. In fact, the day that he was baptized... Right after he was baptized, he decided that he was going to pay the preacher's salary, at least half of it. He was going to pay half the preacher's salary. And he was asked about this. And he says, well, you know, when I was baptized, my pocketbook was baptized too. See, Sam Houston knew that when you're baptized, when you're immersed, you take the plunge, you don't hold anything back. Your pocketbook, your wallet is baptized too. Your resentment is baptized. Your ego, it's baptized. Your lust, it's baptized. 
all of that's baptized and your life changes completely in the flood and in the exodus God used water in two ways now I didn't include this in the note on the back of the bulletin if you take notes you might want to write this down too God used water in two ways in the exodus and in the flood one was he saved what he cherished using water and two he destroyed what stood against him with that same water so when we're baptized God saves what he cherishes and loves that's you but he also destroys what stands against him that's your sin never to be remembered again completely destroyed you're cherished by God he wants to save you your sins need to be destroyed the avenue is water God always uses water he uses water and the spirit if you haven't been baptized what's holding you back what are you waiting for you might say well John you know I didn't really come to church here planning on being baptized. Well, I didn't know that God needed to check your schedule. The water is ready. There's clothes back there. There's towels. Everything is ready. What is holding you back? As we prepare to celebrate the most significant event that's ever occurred in the history of the world Easter won't you make baptism the most significant event in your life today the invention of the internet that was pretty cool but baptism that'll completely turn your world upside down You declare that Jesus takes you from one realm to the next. One way of life, one way of being, which is formless and empty and dark, to another way which is full of life, creation, and life. Just like at the very beginning. So if you want to be baptized, I'm going to give you two options. Okay? You like options? I'm going to give you options. Option number one. We're going to sing an invitation song here in just a minute. And you can come forward while we stand and sing that song. That's option number one. And you can see me or you can see an elder of our congregation who will be up here as well. And we will baptize you on the spot. Option number two. On your communication card, it's that blue card that you got. Right down on there. I would like to be baptized on Easter Sunday. That's one week from today. Next week is Easter Sunday. So write down, down on there, I would like to be baptized on Easter Sunday. Leave your phone number. I'll give you a call this week and we'll set it up. Okay, so you have two options. Now, finally, Jesus took his stand with sinners. He was baptized with us. He was baptized for us, which was a preview of the cross where he died 
for our sin. Take your stand with Jesus dying to your sin, being baptized in the name of Jesus. Let's stand now and sing.